We were all designed to be in the presence of God, yet we run from Him, as if the Creator of sight cannot see us hidden away. Somehow in our humanity we find God boring. We fear His judgment. We misplace our anger and blame Him for our decisions. When we surrender to Him, our passion burns. He gives rest to our souls, assurance to our doubts, and transformation to our lives. He changes our priorities, fills our emptiness, and wraps His love around us. And when we yearn for His presence, we find all that we have ever needed. Have you ever uh, experienced His active, powerful presence in your life? Not just at salvation, but on an ongoing basis. You see, God wants you to experience His present presence excuse me, as a constant, not just an in-and-out thing. Uh, but how does that happen? How do you experience the constant presence of God, the active presence of God? Well, here's how you've got to cling to Him. He says in His Word, He says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. If you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. That's talking about clinging, right? Uh, In fact, what we're going to be talking about is yoking with God today. We ended last week with Psalm 63, verse 8, says that my soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. Today, we're going to be talking about yoking with God, walking in step with God, Uh, clinging and listening, trusting, and eventually coming to a place of surrender. In fact, next week is going to be really emphasized on yielding and surrender and what that looks like. But when we think about the word yoke, what comes to mind? Now, I've asked that question before, and somebody says, you know, it's that little yellow thing in the middle of an egg. No, that's a yolk, right, with an L. But what is a yoke? Anybody knows what a yoke is? Anybody? Yeah, so it's that apparatus that farmers use, right, to put an ox in to plow. Um, And there's this other thing, I guess they call it a double yoke. And it's where you put two oxen into this wooden device, and it makes adjustments and fits and all that. And the farmer uses uh, two oxen so they can plow through maybe uh, more uh, harder ground, right, or get more done a lot faster. And... uh, So are we talking about yoking with Jesus? 58 times in the Old Testament, the word yoke is used, and then in that context. But only one time in the New Testament is this idea of a yoke ever used. In fact, Jesus mentioned it as a metaphor of what it means to cling and connect with Him in deep intimacy and walking with Him. Now, today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 40. Last week we're in Psalm 63, talking about David thirsting for God. In Psalm 40 today, we're going to be looking at another passage or a psalm or a song or a poem, whatever you want to call it, uh, of what David wrote. Psalm chapter 40. I love Psalm 40. It's a powerful, powerful psalm. You need to read it sometime and meditate on it. Next week we're going to be in Psalm 23 as we talk about yielding. But Psalm 40, uh, here's how it starts out in verses 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, 
making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And here's David describing um, what it feels like to be rescued by God, what it feels like to be saved by God. Now, imagine this. Now, we know sin is um, a dangerous thing, don't we? We know sin will, will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay, right? We know sin can put us in a ditch. It can put us in a pit. It can put us in a grave, so to speak. Nothing else gets us worn down and burned out as much as sin does. Now, the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Hey, if, if people didn't enjoy it, they wouldn't do it, right? But there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the thing about it is it puts us into a state of utter destruction and devastation and a place of ruin. And it's like being in sticky mud, as he describes in this verse. Sticky mud. You guys ever been in sticky mud before? Uh, when I was in, in my teens, I was in Boy Scouts, and I was also involved in youth group. And between those two entities, I would uh, occasionally, we would go spelunking. You ever been spelunking? Okay, that's not the same as Googling. It's different, okay? Spelunking is actually going, actually, and crawling through caves, okay? So I'm a caveman, okay? But no, when I was a kid, we would do that. And there's this one place in Middle Tennessee, a very large cave. I mean, it's, we, we actually camped out in the cave. It's so big. But they had tour guides, and they would take you through the back ends of this particular cave. Well, this one particular spot, they called it Bubblegum Alley because the mud that you had to go through was so sticky, it could actually pull your shoes off. So they warned us, all the kids, you know, teenagers, they listen really well. And so we, you know, and this one girl, she didn't tie her shoes like they told us to, right? Here we are, we're walking through Bubblegum Alley, and guess what happened to her shoes? Got pulled right off her feet, right? And that's how, in a sense, how sin can be. Boy, it can hold you down. It can keep you stuck. In fact, as this psalm is describing that this pit that he was in, even the walls are slick with mud, he, that, that he could not even climb out of the pit that he was in on his own strength. He had to have somebody to rescue him. Do you know the Lord is your rescuer? you know that you can't save yourself? You can't. No matter what you do and how hard you try, you cannot get out of the pit of sin. Jesus, that's why Jesus has to be your Savior. Amen. You can't escape without Him. And anybody who has experienced salvations knows what it means and knows what it feels like to be actually rescued out of a life of volatility onto a solid security of the rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. And like I said last week, here's what happens. It causes you and it causes your mouth to praise God when you experience that salvation. It's like getting a brand new favorite, favorite song. You guys, maybe in your lifetime, you've had a few favorite songs, right? Maybe a new one pops up on the radio, like, that's my new favorite song, because you relate to it in the season that you're in, right? Maybe when you first got saved, maybe it was a hymn that you were in church, and you're like, man, that hymn really moves in my heart, and you constantly think about that song. Maybe you've experienced a revival or restoration in your life, and there's a brand new song that comes to mind, and all of a sudden, you're singing that song. Maybe it's more, maybe it's more than one. Maybe it's two or three. Right now, the season I'm in, there's like three or four songs that are really just grabbing me, okay? One's called Another in the Fire by Hillsong. 
Another one is called Yearn, which the series is called Yearn by this group called Shane and Shane. That song moves my heart, man. Another one called Hidden by United Pursuit. I'm, um, these songs, these are things that I'm clinging to right now. And it's like, I, I, I want to sing those songs in my heart to the Lord for His goodness and His grace and His mercy, and even in my restoration of joy. Is anybody in here, you got a new song? You got a song right now that you're singing in your heart to the Lord? how it just moves you, and you can't stop singing that song. You think about that song on a daily basis because you appreciate how much He's done for you. I want you to watch what David says as he moves from a song to trust. He says in Psalm 40, verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Mark that down. I don't have that in your Bible. Trust in the Lord. Now watch verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his what? His trust. And it's not turned to the proud nor to, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Now, it's very interesting. You know, in the English language, we got a lot of words, but we also have some limitations. For instance, the word love. We use the word love for everything, don't we? But you know, in the Greek, uh, the New Testament's written in, there's four, actually in Greek, there's four words for the word love. It's, it actually has different emphasis. Here in the Old Testament, in, in Hebrew, which was the original language of the Old Testament, at that in Aramaic, but in Hebrew right here, the word trust is seen twice, but it's two different Hebrew words. The first one in verse 3, where it says that many will see and will trust in the Lord, means this. It means to make to trust. It means a transaction has happened in the past. In verse 4, it's a different trust. It's a trust that means to take refuge in. It means to have security in, to have assurance in, to actually have ongoing trust. So here's the thing. It's one thing to trust God for your salvation. It's another thing to trust God after your salvation. You guys with me? It's two different things. Years ago, uh, somebody asked me this question, and they asked me this question when I was in the middle of a lot of doubt. I was having a, a lot of struggle with faith and trusting God. And they asked me a question like, well, do, do you know that you're saved? I'll say, yeah, I know I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die. Great. They, and they asked me this question. They said, how is it that you can trust God for your eternal life, but you can't trust Him in your daily life? Whoa, that hit me between the eye. I think it actually hit me right here. You guys ever had a... You ever been in a, in a, in a sermon, you heard a sermon and you told the preacher that, man, pastor, you stepped on my feet today. Well, he wasn't trying to step on your feet. He was trying to aim for your heart. Amen. And, and so how can we trust God to save our soul, but not trust him with our family, our money, our career, our home, our health, and a list of a bunch of other things? Here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I need God every single day. Even when my flesh says it doesn't, even in my own mindset, when I say to God, God, I got this. No, I still need God, right? Even sometimes when I forget what God has done, I still need God. I still need to trust Him on an ongoing moment-by-moment basis, and so do you. In verse 5, it says, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done Many wonders and miracles, God, you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, 
they would be too numerous to count. If I think about the miracles and the wonders and the things that God has done in my own personal life, I could not even count them all. I, well, I'm over 50 now, so I guess you start forgetting stuff. I've probably forgotten more stuff than I can remember. I've probably, I've probably forgotten more miracles than I can ever remember. I want you guys to think about this. Maybe you guys know the answer. How many times per minute does your heart beat? On average, what does the average person's heart beat? beat? Angela might know. She was a nurse in school for a while. Yours is slow. Some of you, it's like once per minute, and you're like, you're not sure if this is the last moment of your life. You just don't know, right? But I think on average, I mean, Jeff's mentioned it early. He says, you know, we, we would think maybe once every second, right? Right? Think about that. Let's say that your heart beats 60 times per minute, once every second. Now multiply that by the number of minutes that you've been alive on this earth. Do you realize that's a miracle, that your heart beats? Think about that. I mean, it's an involuntary muscle. It automatically beats whether you want to or not, right? It just keeps going. Your lungs are an involuntary muscle. I mean, the organ, it keeps going. Your brain, right? Sometimes we feel like our brain never turns off. But think about that. That's a miracle that your heart is beating right now, and you're not doing anything to make it happen. If we, if we, just, look, if we just considered that, how many miracles is that for a whole lifetime just on your heartbeat? Too numerous to count. Too numerous to count. Now, David goes from this idea of trusting and, and, and thinking about how God has done all these miracles uh, in our life, and he shifts to uh, something fresh. It's like he got, gets done with this one thought, and he shifts into this whole other idea. Now, watch this. He says, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. It's burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, here's the idea that we have in this theme of this series. It's called yearning, yearning for God. Yearning for God, as he's trying to point out here, is not doing our will for Him. You ever tried to do your will for God? Anybody? Okay, all right. I'm the only, okay, there's two people who say they do. Okay, the rest of you, I don't know what's wrong. But yeah, we've tried to do that. We've tried to do our will for God. Uh, but he's saying, listen, yearning for God is not about doing our will, but it's about having our ears open to listen to His will. Doing our will is like empty sacrifice and empty offerings. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God does not require sacrifice. He requires obedience. And when you think about this, listening to God, not just hearing Him, but listening, listening to God is obeying. So many times we find in Scripture that when we listen, it's actually the same thing as obeying. And that's what God wants. He wants our obedience. By the way, is it warm in here? Okay, we might need some air flowing or something. Because I'm, I'm about to pass out. Okay, all right. But I, I started thinking about this, and I'm just going to make a confession to you as, as a pastor. In, in times past, and I tried this for a number of years, I used to think that if I got an unsaved person, if I coerced them to come to church, and maybe I wanted them to actually want God or like God or whatever, I thought, okay, if I, can just, if I can get them to serve, then maybe they'll actually yearn for God. 
I've even thought the same thing about backsliders. The Bible says that a backslider uh, and heart is filled with his own ways. I even thought, well, if I can just get a backslider to come back and start serving God, then they'll start yearning for God. But then after I've tried that for a number of years, I started realizing that's not true. It's not true at all. I mean, what happens is, is somebody that is lost, uh, if they're trying to serve God, thank you, brother, if they're trying to serve God, what will happen is they'll get to a place where they despise serving Him because their motive is not right. Their heart is not right. Somebody who's a backslider, all of a sudden they begin, if somebody's working out of their flesh, they begin to burn out on God and there's no appreciation. Now, here's what happens. See, let me say it this way. When you've experienced God bringing you out of a pit of sin, and He brings you out of the miry clay, and He puts, a, puts you on a solid rock, and He puts a new song in your mouth, guess what happens to your motive? It changes, right? No longer is it something that you have to do, it's something that you get to do. And you're actually involved in serving God, you're, the motive changes because you're like, wow, I, I am... I am I, I want to serve the Lord. And so and here's the thing. It's no longer about me trying to do my will for God and what I want to do for God. It's like, no, God, I'm just going to do what you want me to do, and I'm going to be okay with that. We don't have to sacrifice, in a sense, for God. You know why? It's because Christ has already sacrificed for us. You don't have to go to the cross because Jesus has already gone to the cross for you. Amen. We only have to present ourselves as Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice. It says in Romans 12, 1, it says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. So we give ourselves over to him. We give ourselves up to him. And then he begins to use us as he wishes. When we're giving ourselves over to him, it's the same idea as yielding or the same idea as getting into the yoke okay, into the yoke with God. Now, let's see what Jesus has to say about that. In Matthew chapter 11, and if you've never read Matthew 11, you need to because it's so good. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. And here's basically how it starts out. Here's what Jesus said. He says, come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I'll give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 11 is the same thing as what David was actually saying in Psalm 40, verse 3 through 4, okay? And, and so he's talking about that, listen, if you're heavy laden with sin in your life, come to me and I will give you peace and rest, amen? The only way to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ, okay? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. So Jesus now is, you know, if you notice in Jesus' parables and a lot of things he said, he always has the agricultural terms, right? He had the lingo. He was talking about farms and seed and all that stuff, right? If you guys ever read the Gospels, do you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, okay, good. So, but here, this time what Jesus is doing, he's, he's kind of giving an example referring to cattle. And he says, listen, we, at one point in our life, we were like lost cattle. The farmer finds us all alone, out in the middle of nowhere, and he calls to us, come to me, come to me, calling out to the cattle, come to me. And those that are willing to come, he rescues them, and then he puts them into his pasture. Amen. And then they are given rest. Amen. 
Now, here's the thing. He says in these verses, there's, there's two types of way to have rest. The first rest is given. The second rest is found. The first rest is given, that's speaking of grace. The second rest is found. Now, I want you to watch this. Watch 29 through 30. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble in heart and you will what? Right. You will find rest. The first rest is given. The second rest is found. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the deal. To take his yoke means that you yearn to get close. You yearn to get close. You want to walk with Jesus. Now, do you know it's possible to be saved and then, then in your own heart, not want to, or not want to, but you in your own heart and your stubbornness can actually not walk with Jesus. I've done it. It ain't any fun. I'll tell you that, okay? But it's possible. You say, well, I'm saved, but then I'm just going to kind of walk my own way and do my own thing. But he says, listen, this second, this second rest, you can find it if you get into the yoke with me. I was, I was, reading, I was reading up on um, the, the, the yoke and, and cattle and ox this week. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a blog or something, but I was reading it, and it was talking about how that um, cattle are social creatures, they're, they're social, they, they want to be in a group. They struggle when they're by themselves, but they thrive when they get into community and they thrive when they get in connection with the master farmer, so to speak. Now, Jesus is inviting you. Now, you may, already be invi- you may have already accepted the invitation of salvation to actually receive Him, right, and, and be saved, and He's going to give you rest. He gives you that peace. But he's now inviting us to say, hey, listen, I want you to get into the yoke. I want you to yearn for the yoke. I want you to yearn to get into this connection, a deeper connection with Jesus. What happens when you get into the yoke? There's several things that happen when you get in the yoke. I'm going to give you 10 things real fast. Number one, Jesus allows like-natured spirits into the yoke. Here's what I mean by that. You see, you guys know in the Old Testament it says not to not to be uh, not to uh, yoke a, a, an ox with a donkey, right? Can you imagine that picture for just a minute, right? Okay, you know mules or, or donkeys they're pretty stubborn, right? But even in the even in the, in the New Testament it says not to be unevenly yoked. But here's the thing: what Jesus when he he invites those who have like nature into the yoke with him, not somebody who's the opposite nature. Now, here's what I mean by that. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are given a brand new nature. Now, you have two natures right now in your sanctification process. That's why every morning you fight with yourself, okay? You have your old nature, the old Adam nature, but you have this new nature, which is Christ. And so what Jesus invites, He's not inviting the old, He's inviting the new nature, those who are like-minded and like-hearted. So you get into the yoke with Jesus uh, because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can actually listen and obey in you, okay? You're not going to do it in yourself because when you were in your lost state, you didn't want to listen and obey, obey God, but you had to have given the Holy Spirit so that you could. Number two, Jesus bears the greatest and heaviest burdens. He alone can get you out of ditches. You ever been in a ditch after you got saved and He got you out? Yeah, when you get in the yoke, He can get you out. 
He alone can keep you also from falling into folly. Number three, when you walk with Him, you work with Him. When you walk with Him, you work with Him. It's not you working out of your own strength and your own power of your flesh. In fact, it's not even you working for Him. It's actually Him working with you and in you. Amen. Willing to be used by the master farmer or what we call the heavenly father. You know, if you think about this, Jesus said this. He goes, I don't do anything of my own accord. I do what I see the father, what he, what I see the father doing. In other words, the father works through the son. And in the same way, the son works through you. Amen. That's that relationship that we need to understand. When you walk with him, you work with him. When you yoke up, you are able to listen up. Clinging to Jesus. Like imagine yourself in a yoke with Jesus. Jesus is on one of the things over here, and I don't know what that part's called, but you're in the other one, and you're right there. You're connected. You're, you're, you're tight. You're clinging. And here's the thing. You're right there beside of Jesus, and He has your ear. He can talk, and you can hear His voice, and as you, you can see what He sees, and you start thinking like He thinks, and you're able to respond to Him in a better way. Number five. When you yoke up, you walk straighter. I, I notice this is that when I'm when I'm clinging to Jesus, I, I, I keep I, 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 He keeps me from going crooked ways. How about you? Amen. He keeps me on a straight and narrow path. Number six, your productivity and your fruitfulness go up. If you're trying to pull the proverbial plow, so to speak, of your life by yourself, it's exhausting. You struggle, I struggle, but when we cling to Jesus, right, when we, again, like we abide in the vine, like we saw several weeks ago, we cling and we abide, we bear much more fruit. Our productivity in our life goes way up when we're in the yoke with Christ. Number seven, when the Father, excuse me, when the Father drives the Son, He drives you. So imagine the farmer has this uh, trained ox and uh, and then the untrained ox, which is you, you get into the yoke of him. The father is driving, so to speak, this trained ox, which then drives you. So in the same way, the father, in a sense, drives the son. The son drives you. You don't have to worry about being misdirected because Jesus is going to take you in the way that you should go. Amen. Right? Are you guys getting fired up? Okay. All right, good. All right, number, number eight, the yoke, I love this, the yoke that He offers you fits you. It fits you. Sometimes people worry like, well, what if it doesn't fit? What if it, you know, what if it doesn't work out for me? No, 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 no. The yoke that He offers you fits you. Why? Because He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows your weaknesses. He knows even your maturity level right now. Some of us in this room need to grow up in Jesus. You know what happens? You, you take, I mean, you've probably seen pictures of this. You get a full-grown ox, and then you get one that's maybe a teenager, right? Whatever age that would be, two years, I don't know. But then you see that the, the kind of the, the yoke might be a little lopsided, but maybe this one over here, the teenager one, maybe the, the hole is a little bit tighter because they haven't matured to the place of full grownness so, right, so far. So what he does, he knows how to fit the yoke to you, but as you grow in him, 
He'll begin to adjust and refit the yoke to who you are at the moment. He's not going to go too far away for you so that you actually slip out of the yoke. No, He wants to have it just right that you're going to actually go along with Him. Amen. Number nine, you will find that His yoke is easy. Everybody say easy. easy. Take it easy, right? His yoke is easy. It's, <laughs> it is so much easier doing His will rather than doing my will my way. Who's figured that out yet? Okay, if you haven't figured that out yet, I can't wait till you figure that out. That's going to be such an awesome epiphany in your life, I'm telling you. But when you get to the point, you say, man, okay, if I just do it His way and not my way, His yoke is actually easier. Amen. When I'm trying to do it my way, it's harder. It's much harder. Number 10. When we endure the yoke, we enjoy the yoke. When we endure the yoke, we enjoy the yoke. Because when we're clinging to Jesus, life seems a lot more fun. This goes back to Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. And here's how David ends that psalm or that section. He says, then I said, behold, I come. Remember what Jesus said in Psalm in, in Matthew 11? Come unto me, come unto me, all who weary and heavy laden. And here's David saying, Behold, I come, I respond. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I'm written down in, the, in, in, in glory, in, in the Lamb's book of life. My name is written down because I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But then he says this I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is written within my heart. You see, friends, when we yield to the yoke, the yoke is a lot of fun. I, I'm telling you this, I, I enjoy life better when I'm in the yoke. I, I enjoy life better when I'm staying connected to Jesus. Amen. Not when I'm doing my own thing. Not when I'm trying to walk my own way. Not when I'm out in the middle of some place in the wilderness all by myself. No, that is not a lot of fun. Let me ask you a question. Are you having fun with Jesus? If you're not, you might be outside of the yoke. I'm not saying that you're not saved. You may have just come to a place where you're just not inside the yoke. Now, I want to say this to you, which seems contradictory, but it's not. It's possible to be in the yoke and not having fun. I'll give you an example. Imagine that you've got, that you're in the yoke. You say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to be in there, but you're not really fully yielded and surrendered. And what happens is, you think about like an animal that, say, is, uh, gets stubborn. You guys ever get stubborn? You ever get stubborn with God? I think, didn't Jacob wrestle with God? You know something? When you wrestle with God, guess who wins? He does. Eventually, you're just going to run out of energy and you're going to give up. I'm like, all right, God, I'm just giving up here. Okay, great. But what happens is, is that we can be in the yoke and, and, and not enjoying it because we're not, in a sense, fully yielded, but we're, we get stubborn, we start to buck and bite, we start pulling against, we want to lead, and uh, we, we, we start having selective hearing and all those things, like some husbands in the room. Uh, just kidding. But we do that. And we don't enjoy 
it. We don't enjoy this walk with Jesus because we're pulling against Him. We want to put our feet down and just not move and get dragged along. Here is David at the end. He says, I delight to do your will. God, it's, it's my pleasure to obey you and your will. I yearn for you. God, I yearn for you to be in control. God, I give myself over to you. I give my heart, my whole heart over to you to take control and to lead. And God, I want to come to a place that I don't want to resist you anymore. I want to come to a place that I don't want to go astray. I, God, I want to come to a place that I don't buck and I bite. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want to come. I want to come to a place that I'm not stubborn anymore. God, I want you to lead my life because when I finally let you lead and fully surrender, that is when I can experience a deeper level of yearning like I've never had before. I, I wonder if that would be our heart this morning. You know, maybe you have already made that decision to follow Jesus. I mean, so I'm a Jesus follower. I gave my heart to Him. I gave my life to Him. And Jesus is my Savior. And, and praise God, He brought you out of the pit. He brought you out of the miry clay. You put your feet on a solid rock. You put a new song in your mouth. But have you ever come to a place where you're yielded to Him? And you say, God, I, I just want to get into the yoke. I just want to get into the yoke. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Next week we're going to be talking about surrender. Surrender. Where we fully yield to God. What does that look like to fully surrender to God? I hope you come back as we look at Psalm 23 together. Let's pray together. Father, you're so awesome. Today, Father, I don't know where everybody's at right now in this moment. I don't know where their hearts are, but I know that you do. So, Father, today I pray, Lord, that, God, our yearning would just go beyond just the basic of drinking of the water, the living water, but, Lord, it would go to the place where we're saying, God, I want to cling to you. I, I want to be tight with you. I want to hear your voice. I want to walk the straight path. I, I don't want to do life in my own strength. I don't want to stray. I don't want to buck against you, God. I don't want to wrestle with you, God. God, I just want to surrender to you. And Lord, there are some people in the room, they, they, maybe they've been missing out on having a constant experience of your active presence in their life. And could it be that maybe they're not clinging to you? Father, as you said in your word, return to you and, and you'll return to us. Draw near to you and you'll draw near to us. So, Father, in this place, in this time, I pray not right now that our hearts would just, would just yoke up with you and say, I want to connect with Jesus on an ongoing basis. Teach us. Let us learn from you and that we will find rest for our souls. Lord, we love you and praise you for what you're going to do in this moment, what you're going to do this week in our hearts and our lives as we begin to see, Lord, you just do an incredible work in our hearts and around us, and as we start to see the benefits and the blessings of just being clinging to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Momentum Life Podcast. To find out more about Momentum Church, visit MomentumChurchAZ.com.